Sophie, of course, knew the hat trade quite well already. Since she was a tiny child, she had run in and out of the big workshed across the yard, where the hats were damped and moulded on blocks, and flowers and fruit and other trimmings were made from wax and silk. She knew the people who worked there. Most of them had been there when her father was a boy. She knew Bessie, the only remaining shop assistant. She knew the customers who bought the hats and the man who drove the cart, which fetched raw straw hats in from the country to be shaped on the blocks in the shed. She knew the other suppliers and how you made felt for winter hats. There was not really much that Fanny could teach her. Except perhaps the best way to get a customer to buy a hat. You lead up to the right hat, love, Fanny said. Show them the ones that won't quite do first, so they know the difference as soon as they put the right one on. In fact, Sophie did not sell hats very much. After a day or so observing in the workshed, and another day going round the clothier and the silk merchants with Fanny. Fanny set her to trimming hats. Sophie sat in a small alcove at the back of the shop, sewing roses to bonnets and veiling to velours, lining all of them with silk, and arranging wax fruit and ribbons stylishly on the outsides. She was good at it. She quite liked doing it, but she felt isolated and a little dull. The workshop people were too old to be much fun, and besides, they treated her as someone apart. Who was going to inherit the business some day? Bessie treated her the same way. Bessie's only talk, anyway, was about the farmer she was going to marry the week after May Day. Sophie rather envied Fanny, who could bustle off to bargain with the silk merchant whenever she wanted. The most interesting thing was the talk from the customers. Nobody can buy a hat without gossiping. Sophie sat in her alcove and stitched. And heard that the mayor never would eat green vegetables, and that Wizard Howell's castle had moved round to the cliffs again. Really, that man! Whisper, whisper, whisper. The voices always dropped low when they talked to Wizard Howell, but Sophie gathered that he had caught a girl down the valley last month. Bluebeard said the whispers, and then became voices again to say that Jane Farrier was a perfect disgrace the way she did her hair. That was one who would never attract even Wizard Howell, let alone a respectable man. Then there would be a fleeting, fearful whisper about the Witch of the Waste. Sophie began to feel that Wizard Howell and the Witch of the Waste should get together. They seemed to be made for one another. Someone ought to arrange a match. She remarked to the hat she was trimming at that moment. But by the end of the month. The gossip in the shop was suddenly all about Letty. Cesare's, it seemed, was packed with gentlemen from morning to night, each one buying quantities of cakes and demanding to be served by Letty. She had had ten proposals of marriage, ranging in quality from the mayor's son to the lad who swept the streets, and she had refused them all, saying she was too young to make up her mind yet. I call that sensible of her," Sophie said to a bonnet she was pleating silk into. Fanny was pleased with this news. I knew she'd be all right," she said happily. It occurred to Sophie that Fanny was glad Letty was no longer around.
Lettuce bad for custom, she told the bonnet, pleating away at mushroom-coloured silk. She would make even you look glamorous, you dowdy old thing. Other ladies look at Letty in despair. Sophie talked to Hats more and more as weeks went by. There was no one else much to talk to. Fanny was out bargaining or trying to whip up custom much of the day, and Bessie was busy serving and telling everyone her wedding plans. Sophie got into the habit of putting each hat on its stand as she finished it, where it sat looking almost like a head without a body, and pausing while she told the hat what the body under it ought to be like. She flattered the hats a bit, because you should flatter customers. You have mysterious allure, she told one that was all veiling with hidden twinkles. To a wide creamy hat with roses under the brim, she said, You are going to have to marry money. And to a caterpillar green straw with a curly green feather, she said, You are young as a spring leaf. She told pink bonnets they had dimpled charm and smart hats trimmed with velvet that they were witty. She told the mushroom pleated bonnet, You have a heart of gold and someone in a high position will see it and fall in love with you. This was because she was sorry for that particular bonnet. It looked so fussy and plain. Jane Farrier came into the shop next day and bought it. Her hair did look a little strange, Sophie thought, peeping out of her alcove, as if Jane had wound it round a row of pokers. It seemed a pity she had chosen that bonnet. But everyone seemed to be buying hats and bonnets around then. Maybe it was Fanny's sales talk. Or maybe it was spring coming on, but the hat trade was definitely picking up. Fanny began to say a little guiltily, I think I shouldn't have been in such a hurry to get Martha and Letty placed out. At this rate, we might have managed. There was so much custom as April drew on toward May Day that Sophie had to put on a demure grey dress and help in the shop too. But such was the demand that she was hard at trimming hats in between customers and every evening she took them next door to the house, where she worked by lamplight far into the night in order to have hats to sell the next day. Caterpillar green hats like the one the mayor's wife had were much called for, and so were pink bonnets. Then, the week before May Day, someone came in and asked for one with mushroom pleats, like the one Jane Farrier had been wearing when she ran off with the Count of Cataract. That night, as she sewed, Sophie admitted to herself that her life was rather dull. Instead of talking to the hats, she tried each one on as she finished it and looked in the mirror. This was a mistake. The staid grey dress did not suit Sophie, particularly when her eyes were red-rimmed with sewing. And since her hair was a reddish straw colour, neither did caterpillar green nor pink. The one with mushroom pleats simply made her look dreary. Like an old maid, said Sophie. Not that she wanted to race off with counts like Jane Farrier, or even fancied half the town offering her marriage like Letty. But she wanted to do something, she was not sure what, that had a bit more interest to it than simply trimming hats. She thought she would find time next day to go and talk to Letty. But she didn't go. 
Either she couldn't find the time or she couldn't find the energy. Or it seemed a great distance to Market Square. Or she remembered that on her own she was in danger from Wizard Howl. Anyway, every day it seemed more difficult to go and see her sister. It was very odd. Sophie had always thought she was nearly as strong-minded as Letty. Now she was finding that there were some things she could only do when there were no excuses left. This is absurd, Sophie said. Market Square is only two streets away. If I run... And she swore to herself she would go round to Cesare's when the hat shop was closed for May Day. Meanwhile, a new piece of gossip came into the shop. The king had quarrelled with his own brother, Prince Justin, it was said, and the prince had gone into exile. Nobody quite knew the reason for the quarrel, but the prince had actually come through market chipping in disguise a couple of months back, and nobody had known. The Count of Cataract had been sent by the king to look for the prince when he happened to meet Jane Farrier instead. Sophie listened and felt sad. Interesting things did seem to happen, but always to somebody else. Still, it would be nice to see Letty. May Day came. Merrymaking filled the streets from dawn onward. Fanny went out early, but Sophie had a couple of hats to finish first. Sophie sang as she worked. After all, Letty was working too. Cesare's was open till midnight on holidays. I shall buy one of their cream cakes, Sophie decided. I haven't had one for ages. She watched people crowding past the window in all kinds of bright clothes, people selling souvenirs, people walking on stilts, and felt really excited. But when she at last put a grey shawl over her grey dress and went out into the street, Sophie did not feel excited. She felt overwhelmed. There were too many people rushing past, laughing and shouting, far too much noise and jostling. Sophie felt as if the past months of sitting and sewing had turned her into an old woman or a semi-invalid. She gathered her shawl round her and crept along close to the houses, trying to avoid being trodden on by people's best shoes or being jabbed by elbows in trailing silk sleeves. When there came a sudden volley of bangs from overhead somewhere, Sophie thought she was going to faint. She looked up and saw Wizard Howell's castle right down on the hillside above the town, so near it seemed to be sitting on the chimneys. Blue flames were shooting out of all four of the castle's turrets, bringing balls of blue fire with them that exploded high in the sky quite horrendously. Wizard Howell seemed to be offended by May Day. Or maybe he was trying to join in, in his own fashion. Sophie was too terrified to care. She would have gone home, except that she was halfway to Cesare's by then, so she ran. What made me think I wanted life to be interesting? She asked as she ran. I'd be far too scared. It comes of being the eldest of three. When she reached Market Square, it was worse, if possible. Most of the inns were in the square. Crowds of young men swaggered beerily to and fro, trailing cloaks and long sleeves, and stamping buckled boots they would never have dreamed of wearing on a working day, calling loud remarks and accosting girls. 
The girls strolled in fine pairs, ready to be accosted. It was perfectly normal for May Day, but Sophie was scared of that too. And when a young man in a fantastical blue and silver costume spotted Sophie and decided to accost her as well, Sophie shrank into a shop doorway and tried to hide. The young man looked at her in surprise. "It's all right, you little grey mouse," he said, laughing rather pityingly. "I only want to buy you a drink. Don't look so scared." The pitying look made Sophie utterly ashamed. He was such a dashing specimen too, with a bony, sophisticated face, really quite old, well into his twenties, and elaborate blonde hair. His sleeves trailed longer than any in the square, all scalloped edges and silver insets. Oh no, thank you, if you please, sir. Sophie stammered. I, I'm on my way to see my sister. Then, by all means, do so. Laughed this advanced young man. Who am I to keep a pretty lady from her sister? Would you like me to go with you, since you seem so scared? He meant it kindly, which made Sophie more ashamed than ever. N no, thank you, sir. She gasped and fled away past him. He wore perfume too. The smell of hyacinths followed her as she ran. What a courtly person! Sophie thought, as she pushed her way between the little tables outside Cesare's. The tables were packed. Inside was packed and as noisy as the square. Sophie located Letty among the line of assistants at the counter because of the group of evident farmers' sons leaning their elbows on it to shout remarks to her. Letty, prettier than ever and perhaps a little thinner. Was putting cakes into bags as fast as she could go, giving each bag a deft little twist, and looking back under her own elbow with a smile and an answer for each bag she twisted. There was a great deal of laughter. Sophie had to fight her way through to the counter. Letty saw her. She looked shaken for a moment. Then her eyes and her smile widened, and she shouted, "Sophie, can I talk to you?" Sophie yelled, "Somewhere." She shouted a little helplessly as a large, well-dressed elbow jostled her back from the counter. "Just a moment!" Letty screamed back. She turned to the girl next to her and whispered. The girl nodded, grinned, and came to take Letty's place. "You'll have to have me instead," she said to the crowd. "Who's next?" "Well, I want to talk to you, Letty," one of the farmer's sons yelled. "Talk to Carrie," Letty said. I want to talk to my sister. Nobody really seemed to mind. They jostled Sophie along to the end of the counter where Letty held up a flap and beckoned, and told her not to keep Letty all day. When Sophie had edged through the flap, Letty seized her wrist and dragged her into the back of the shop, to a room surrounded by rack upon wooden rack, each one filled with rows of cakes. Letty pulled forward two stools. Sit down. She said. She looked in the nearest rack in an absent-minded way and handed Sophie a cream cake out of it. You may need this, she said. Sophie sank onto the stool, breathing the rich smell of cake and feeling a little tearful. Oh, Letty, she said. I am so glad to see you. Yes, and I'm glad you're sitting down, said Letty. You see, I'm not Letty. I'm Martha.